Hello again, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Kid Kong at the Movies. I am your host, the one and only Kid Kong, rejoined today once again by my good friend, Cal the Kaiju Guy. What's up, everybody? So, Cal was actually supposed to join me last week when we discussed Batman Begins. However, that was on the tail end of my inventory of my job, between not getting to write notes and everything. I actually recorded that episode the morning that it went out. And it's just, there was no way for him to be able to swing that to come over in like five minutes notice to record. No, no, no. Like, I, I want it to. Um, but yeah, there was just, there was no way that I could swing it. I think, you know, with you having to deal with work and um, <clears throat> recording it the morning of release, which is how I normally do my, my episodes. But I was also, you know, working on other things in the pipeline and I was just like... Nope. Ain't no way. <laughs> no no way I can swing it. Hey, man, it happens. Uh, you're here now. That's what's important. And you're going to join me for The Dark Knight Rises as well, which will finish out this trilogy that I'm doing. So if you haven't figured it out, today we're doing The Dark Knight from 2008. Now, it was once again directed by Christopher Nolan and written by Christopher Nolan, David S. Goyer. But his bro Christopher Nolan's brother, Jonathan Nolan, joined the writing staff for this for the screenplay. Now, Jonathan Nolan has worked with Christopher Nolan on a lot of things. One of the things he did by himself was Terminator Salvation, and he actually wrote the short story that would get turned into the movie Memento. That was written by that wasn't written by Christopher Nolan. That was written by his brother Jonathan. Hmm. Same production company and distribution from Warner Brothers. It was released July 14th in New York and had its wider U.S. and Canadian release on July 18th, and then had its U.K. and worldwide release July 25th. It was made on a budget of $185 million and pulled in over $1 billion at the box office, becoming, at the time, the highest-grossing Batman film. Uh, give you a basic brief run-up of what this is. Basically, it's been, what would you say, about two years since the first movie, give or take? They don't really specify how long he's been active, do they? I don't know. I don't think so. They, they don't really specify. I don't think it's it's super, super long that he's been active. Just because, like, the opening thing with the movie with him dealing with Scarecrow and all right. that, he's still wearing the original suit. That's and true. he comes to Lucius and is basically like, I, I need something new. I want to be able to turn my head. And exactly. so, uh, you know, I don't know. Depends on, could he have been dealing with that other suit for about two years? Maybe. It's possible. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't know. I don't think it's ever really been specified uh, what how, what the However, time frame is. I think you might be honest with them. I think it might not have been as long of a time period because they do the tease with Joker at the end of Batman Begins. And in this movie, when the mob is meeting, uh, they're talking about how another one of their banks got hit by a two, <clears throat> by a two big gangster in a cheap suit and clown makeup. It implies that he this is, he's been hitting them a few times. So it's probably, I wouldn't even say necessarily a year after this one. Yeah, I mean, you know, you mentioning that, uh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, that it, it wouldn't seem... It wouldn't seem right to where, you know, at the end of Batman Begins, he tells him about somebody. He said, here's his calling card. It's a Joker card. Batman says, I'll look into it. And then we fast forward about two years into the future, and he's just now getting around to, like, dealing with the Joker and all that. Right. So. Now, there probably was quite a bit of work for him to do to help clean up the Narrows, because that was devastated at the end of Batman Begins. Like, he probably had some work. I'd say it's probably a safe bet between nine months to a year afterwards. But basically, to, to get back to what I was saying with a brief synopsis, I'm sorry, guys, uh, is that, you know, he's been Batman for a little while. He's working on cleaning up the streets. And, of course, one of the main themes of this film is, you know, escalation. If you start, and Gordon says it best at the end of Batman Begins, you know, 
We buy bulletproof vests. They buy armor-piercing rounds. You're running around dressed like a bat, and then we have this. Like, it's the idea that... And this is a talking point for a lot of people when it comes to heroes and vigilantes. What causes villains to show up? Is it because the vigilantes are there? Do the vigilantes start as a response to them? It's it's a it's a, a conversation that you can actually have in college courses nowadays. So, uh, and it turns out that the escalation, the Joker in question, is trying to, you know, undo everything that the new district attorney, uh, Harvey Dent, has done. Which is another reason that implies that it's not that far into the future because if district attorney Finch in the first movie gets killed... They're not going to wait a few years to elect a new district attorney. No, no, they're not. <laughs> so it is widely considered one of the greatest and most influential films of all time. It is to a lot of people considered the definitive superhero film, the definitive live action Batman movie. Uh, it was the first live action Batman movie to not feature the name Batman in the title, actually. Um, and really, this and The Dark Knight Rises are pretty much the only ones to have continued that. Well, Justice League. Justice League didn't have Batman in the title. Well, I mean, Justice League's not a Batman movie. Well, that's so. true. That's very true. <laughs> and even Batman v Superman, I, I, that, you can take I mean, that, that as a... That'd be like saying, like, oh, you know, the Avengers was the first Captain America movie not have Captain America in the title. I mean, <laughs> fair like, you know, fair so. point, fair point. <laughs> but it was nominated for numerous awards, including multiple Academy Awards. Now, I said last week I wasn't going to go through the original, the same cast members uh, and do all their films because we're going to be covering the same actors throughout these weeks. So I'm just going to give you a quick rundown of who returned in main roles. Batman Bruce Wayne, of course, that was Christian Bale. He continued to train the Kisai fighting method for this film and actually came in a little bit lighter so that he could, he could move a little bit better because he felt like Batman would, you know, as his crime fighting would go on, he would adjust himself accordingly to how it would be best suited for whatever talents he's using and the thing, the place that he's in. Um, he, uh, he wanted the idea with this film is Batman. He's been Batman for a little while. How long can he keep doing this? You know, is he eventually going to be able to exercise his demons? You know, and also because he felt like his character was very well established in the first movie, he didn't feel like he was in any kind of risk of being overshadowed by the villains. <laughs> so he felt like he was perfectly willing to compete with Heath Ledger on set. Had Heath not died, there is an argument to be made that he was probably right about that. But that is a conversation we will have. A little bit of today, and then in further detail at the end of next week's episode. Of course, Alfred was done by Michael Caine again. Michael Caine said this time around, Alfred is kind of like Batman's Batman. He's the man behind Batman. He's the one who's trying to help him from, you know, the shadows of, okay, well, you're Bruce Wayne. You're maintaining this. I'm going to try and help you maintain this while still helping you out. Same thing with Lucius Fox being played by Morgan Freeman. It's the same concept there. Uh, Commissioner Gordon, at the beginning of this film, he's a lieutenant, but by the end, he's a commissioner, is once again played by the great Gary Oldman. Now we get to the new cast members. The Joker was portrayed by Heath Ledger. Heath Ledger, of course, passed away in 2008. Heath Ledger was in a multitude of uh, Australian soap operas and television shows, including Black Rock and The Interview. He's been in 10 Things I Hate About You, The Patriot, A Knight's Tale, Monster's Ball, The Lords of Dogtown, Brothers Grimm, Brokeback Mountain, which I personally think that movie is absolutely fantastic. It, never, I've never seen it. It's really good. Like I, I told my <clears throat> wife and her father that I had seen it and I enjoyed the movie. And they both kind of giggled about that. And I'm like, all right, can you guys be adults about this? Like, really? Yes, they're gay cowboys. Can we move past that? I mean, I've never seen is it. Like, the fact that I haven't seen it has nothing to do I didn't think with, so. with that. I mean, you just, you know me. You know my, my story whenever it comes to seeing big name movies. Just a lot of times if I didn't have 
the opportunity almost immediately to watch it. Like, there are some movies where I'm just like, I'm not paying money for that. Yeah. And I'm not dedicated enough to borrow it from somebody. And if it just so happens to come on TV one day, or if it's on, well, on TV. Nowadays, streaming if it's, services, if it's yeah. on a streaming service that I, I happen to have, you know, I'll be like, eh, what the heck? I'll go, and, I'll go ahead and check that out. Like, you guys know, you know, I've been on the show enough to know that you know, you guys know that I'm a big I'm a big movie guy. I watch a bunch of movies. I've seen a lot of iconic movies. I'm very much like Chris. Have a lot of deep knowledge about a lot of movies and everything like that. And then there's a film called Citizen Kane that is arguably <laughs> the greatest film ever made to some people. Not to me, but to some people. You know, it has the status of the greatest film ever made. And I only just watched Citizen Kane for the first time uh like less than a year ago. So yeah, there's just I'm thirty three <laughs> years old. I have loved movies my entire life. I have seen that movie twice and I really don't need to see it a third time. It I've, is I've not seen I've seen terrible. it once and I don't need to see it twice. It is not a bad <laughs> movie. It's just I don't personally like you, I don't buy into the hype of this is fantastic. To me a much better representation of Citizen Kane is in the freaking Simpsons episode Rosebud about Mr. Burns's bear uh Bobo. Moving right along. The character of Harvey Dent, Two-Face, is played by Aaron Eckhart. Aaron Eckhart, of course, has been in a lot of films where he gets to play like a corrupt official. He's been in The Company of Men, Molly, Any Given Sunday, Aaron Brockovich. He was in Nurse Betty. I mentioned that last week. The Core, Possession, Thank You for Smoking, The Black Dahlia. He was in the Olympus Has Fallen series as the initial president, and he was in Midway. Rachel Dawes was recast with Maggie Gyllenhaal. <laughs> Maggie Gyllenhaal. I forgot to turn my vibration off on my phone. So that, hold on one moment. I'm going to make sure that does not happen again. As I was saying, Maggie Gyllenhaal was in films like Donnie Darko with her brother, Riding in Cars with Boys, Secretary, Adaptation, Mona Lisa's Smile, Stranger Than Fiction, Crazy Heart, and White House Down. Now, Stranger Than Fiction is one of the few non-comedies that I've seen Will Ferrell in. I went to theaters to watch non-fiction, and I remember... The trailers and ads and everything kind of portrayed it that it was going to be a comedy. And then whenever I went and watched it in theaters and it was absolutely not a comedy, I remember being very disappointed in the film. But if, I've, I've, I've often thought, like, I need to revisit it now that I know what it that's is. That's more or less what my thought process yeah. was. And when I finally did rewatch it with the attitude of, this is not a comedy, I enjoyed it a lot better. I'm not going to say it's fantastic, but it was a much better film. Uh, the... Corrupt cop characters of Ramirez was played by Monique Gabrielle Kernan, who was in Fast and Furious and The Good Doctor, while being in TV's Lie to Me and Power. And Wurtz was played by Ron Dean. Ron Dean is used to playing, like, gruff cop characters. He was in Rudy, Risky Business, The Fugitive, The Babe, and on TV, he was in Early Edition. Mayor Garcia was played by Nestor Carbonell. Nestor Carbonell was in Jack the Dog, Lost City, Smoking Aces, and Imperium. While on television, he, was, he provided a voice in Kim Possible. He was in 20 episodes of Lost. And he was in 93 episodes of Suddenly Susan. The character of Lau was played by Chin Han. Chin Han was in 2012, Contagion, Winter Soldier, Independence Day Resurgence, The Ghost in the Shell, Skyscraper, and he most recently portrayed Shang Tsung in Mortal Kombat. Salvatore Sal Maroni was played by Eric Roberts. Eric Roberts has over 600 screen productions to his name, and he's the third most prolific screen actor of all time. He's also Julia Roberts' older brother. I'm a massive fan of Eric Roberts. He was in King of <laughs> Gypsies, Star 80, Runaway Train, National Security, The Expendables, 
Ape versus Monster. When I saw that, I had to write that down because I knew you were going to be on this show. Uh, Television-wise, he was in Less Than Perfect for 61 episodes, Crash, and Suits. But he's also been in a multitude of music videos, including El Baño. He was in the music video for We Belong Together, where he played The Groom by M. Mariah Carey. And this one, I had to write down the name of his character. He was in the music video for Mr. Brightside. He is credited as Apple Eating Pimp. Wow. <laughs> yep. The Chesh was played by... Before before you go on, I'm so, uh, I, I, I thought you were going to mention it, but you didn't. And I know this is completely unrelated to The Dark Knight. But the first thing I ever saw Eric Roberts in was the miniseries of The Odyssey. He was in that. Yep. He, he was one of the suitors that uh, got his day from uh, Odysseus. <laughs> to, wow. Uh, towards the end. That was the first thing I, I ever saw. I completely forgot about that. And oh, any, my God. Anytime I think of Eric Roberts, that's the first role that, that pops up in my mind. <laughs> Man, I'd have to do a multiple-part actor appreciation thing for him because of how much he's done. Yeah. <laughs> the Chechen was played by Richie Coster. Richie Coster was in the Thomas Crown Affair, Tuxedo, American Gangster, Black Hat, and Let Me In. TV-wise, he's most recently appeared in the new seasons of The Walking Dead. He was in Happy, and he was also in the first season of True Detective as the mayor. Finally, Mike Engel, who's a TV reporter, was played by Anthony Michael Hall. Anthony Michael Hall, you know you know that man. He's in 16 Candles, The Breakfast Club, Weird Science, Photographer. He was in Foxcatcher, Edward Scissorhands, most recently in Halloween Kills. But he's arguably best known outside of his John Hughes films for The Dead Zone, yeah. the TV series based on the Stephen King book. Mm-hmm. Michael Jai White appears as Gamble. Michael Jai White, of course, is a actor. No freaking no. introduction, none whatsoever. <laughs> uh, he was in the he was in the repeat the sequel to Undisputed. He was also in Blood and Bone. He's, he's a fantastic. I love that man. I'm not gonna say he's a fantastic actor, but I love that man. And he is hilarious. If you watch things like behind the scenes stuff of some of the movies he's on, he is a jokester. He he cracks jokes with people. He plays pranks on people like. <laughs> I, I love that dude <laughs> yeah he appeared as Gamble who's a mobster who the Joker ultimately kills Colin McFarlane reprised his role as Commissioner Loeb Killian Murphy once again returns as Scarecrow we mentioned that a little bit earlier he's only credited as a cameo in this film but he actually gets some genuine screen time in the, in the third movie even though it's not a whole lot of it uh, Tiny Lister Jr. may he rest in peace appeared as a convict and William Fickner who has been in a, like he was in Armageddon he was in The Longest Yard uh, he played what was supposed to be Shredder in TMNT until fans like myself threw an absolute fit over that. Uh, he appeared as a mob bank manager. Now, here's where an interesting one. Senator Patrick Lay of, o- of o- Iowa is a big Batman fan. He credits Batman with getting him into reading because he would go to his local library and he'd get to re- uh, do that. He has appeared in multiple live-action Batman media, and he was also providing a voice in the cartoon series. He was one of the guests of Bruce Wayne's at the um, fundraiser, and the one that, you know, Joker aggressively grabs his face. He also appears in The, in the Dark Knight Rises. David Dasmelshian, who is probably best known nowadays for Polka Dot Man from Suicide Squad, and he was also an Ant-Man, uh, is a henchman of the Jokers. Whew, Okay. So, prior to the release of Batman Begins, David Goyer actually wrote a treatment for two different sequels, which would introduce the Joker and Harvey Dent. Initially, he intended that Joker would scar Dent at the beginning of the third film, which would create Two-Face in the, in the opening scene that would have taken place in the courthouse. 
Uh, of course, The Long Halloween was another major influence on this. Aspects of it were adapted for Batman Begins, but it was a major influence on this. Veteran Batman writer Neil Adams claims that he met with David Goyer and that they used his story, Joker's Five-Way Revenge, which actually reintroduced the Joker in 1971 and reimagined him as instead of being a harmless prankster as someone who's much more menacing at times. He says that that was one of their influences they also borrowed from him. Christopher Nolan was initially unsure of returning for the sequel. However, he had been wanting to reinterpret the Joker on screen. And when not only the chance to do that happened, but the idea of getting Heath Ledger cast came to him, he, he couldn't turn this down. And as I mentioned earlier, this is the first Batman live-action movie without Batman in the title. After months of research... Christopher Nolan's brother Jonathan suggested that the Joker's first two appearances in 1940 would be the baseline crucial introduction for this. Are you familiar with those comics? Yeah. Do you do you see that in the movie? I mean, kind of, sort of. You see, I, after, <laughs> after I read that, I started thinking about it. I'm like, I don't know that I necessarily see that. I mean, outside of the very, very basic fact that the joker just begins being as there like you don't get an origin for him as a villain or anything uh they use a film from 1933 called the testament of dr mabuse which had a main character that physically resembled and spoke similar to the joker that would ultimately be portrayed by caesar romero in the 1960s batman series that was used as reference material uh, also, one of Joker's co-creators, Jerry Robinson, was actively consulted during the production of this film. Joker, they you know they didn't want to give him any kind of an origin. They wanted to focus more on his rise to power because the idea was this Joker is absolutely fully formed. He is there is no shades of gray with him. He is purely chaos. That's all he wants is anarchy and chaos. And when you have something like that, while an origin for that can be an interesting thing to do. It's also not necessarily necessary. Like, it can add more to it by not having an origin. I'm actually glad that they didn't really jump into his origin that much because the Joker, you know, there's a lot of fans that feel this way. The Joker is one of those characters to where, like, one of his biggest things that people love about him is the mystery. Yeah. You don't know who he was. You don't know what he used to do. I mean, there's been a few a few stories, a few comics here and there, animated film, a live-action film that has jumped into his origin and all that kind of stuff. And I'm sorry, like, you know, more power to those creators, more power to the stories and everything. But I'm just like, you know, I could have, I could have done without knowing. As good as Joker <laughs> was, we didn't necessarily need that. The Walking Phoenix Joker movie. Yeah. As good as that was, is there's some things that just don't need an origin. And in fact, Christopher Nolan said, had he had it his way, Joker would never have an origin. I'm, Ever. I'm perfectly okay. He with said that. that, especially when you have films where he is, one of several antagonists in this in any kind of capacity, especially with the way this movie went. He said, this film is supposed to be about the fall of Harvey Dent and what it would do to Gotham. The Joker is 100% crucial to that, but you don't need to know why he is the way he is in order to see that and enjoy that. Yeah. Uh, they took some dialogue for the Joker directly from the killing joke, as well as, believe it or not, they took influence from the movie Heat for the... The, the way they did Batman Begins, like they, they focused on Batman's travels when he was in other countries, and they also focused on little parts of Gotham. They didn't want to do that this time. They wanted to use Gotham as a city as a backdrop. They wanted to be able to experience more than just that one little bit here and there. And Heat, the movie Heat, that's not the one with fucking Melissa McCarthy either. 
Let's get that out of the way right now. That's not that and, and that's one of the only times where we're going to mention her on yeah, this podcast. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, other than saying Ghostbusters sucked. Uh, because of the way that they portrayed the city as the full, like, you get everything with this. They wanted to take that. You know, I mentioned earlier that they brought escalation as a major theme. You know, the ideas of justice, revenge. They specifically wanted to have Batman do more detective work in this because that was apparently a complaint after Batman Begins was they felt that he didn't do enough detective work. And it's like, well, it's literally called Batman Begins. It, it, that's actually one of, my, um, one of my complaints about the trilogy overall. Believe it or not, because um, yeah, Batman is a detective and all that, and this is a very minor complaint. In no way does it take away from the trilogy. I love the trilogy. I consider them all three of them to be some of the best comic book movies ever. But I've always been a little bit bothered that it seemed like throughout the entire all three films, Batman leaned on Lucius Fox a lot. Yeah, I did. mean a lot. Like basically, would be like, here, figure this out, and then you know, seven or eight scenes later, he goes to see him again. He's like, hey, did you figure it out? Yes, I did. And I created this thing to help you take care of it and all that kind of stuff. And I was just like, I would I would have just liked to have seen Batman actually do some of that by himself. I know in the comics, he does lean on certain people well, I, to do certain things. Well, what I was about things. to say was, I think that the reason they went that route is because of the fact they're trying to root this Batman as more realistic. Yeah. I mean, Batman is a normal human, but in the comics, he has moments where he's almost supernatural. Like when he's walking, like oh, there's, it's, oh, it's there's, ridiculous. There's a, there's one comic he is approaching a building, like a little small like shed, and there's snow on the ground. He's not making any sound as he's walking. He gets to the door, he stops and just says "beast" and ducks his head right as a somebody shoots through that door from the inside because it was KG Beast. How could he have possibly known that? That that's that's what I'm getting <laughs> at is that the idea is that because they're rooting him in realism, maybe they felt like. He wouldn't be able to do this by himself. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, they also highlighted that they wanted Bruce and Harvey to have, like, kind of like a friendly rivalry at first that would, of course, evolve as the course of the movie goes. And they felt that the idea of Bruce and Harvey was the backbone of this film, much more so than the antagonism between himself and Joker. I mean, to an extent, I see what they're saying with that, because a lot of what happens in it, now, granted, Personally, I think that some of the stuff they did at the end of this movie could have been used in a third movie. I do think the idea of squeezing Two-Face into this was not the greatest idea, but it worked out. You know, they decided to compress the story because they wanted to develop Dent into a criminal, but they also didn't want Joker to be sympathetic in any capacity. Believe it or not, there were some, whether it was in cartoon form or in some comic forms, by the time The Dark Knight came out, there were... Almost attempts at making him sympathetic in certain lights. Yeah. And they have leaned heavily into that again with Joaquin Phoenix's Joker film. You're not supposed to have sympathy for this kind of a character. You're just, you're not. This is a character that has gassed schools full of children just because it made them laugh. Um, therefore, because of that, and because they wanted it to develop Dent as a criminal, to have his rise and his fall, the title of the film being The Dark Knight has a dual meaning in here. Not only is it referring to Batman, but it's referring to Gotham's white knight of Harvey Dent falling to darkness. You know, multiple people on set during production and during filming have stated that they were just mesmerized by Heath Ledger's performance. Uh, Gary Oldman, who is considered one of the greatest actors of all time, 
has said there were times watching him where I would forget I was supposed to be in a movie. And he scared Michael Caine so badly on their first scene together that Michael Caine, a man who has been acting for seven decades, forgot his lines. That that scene, by the way, was also at the at the fundraiser whenever he first shows up, by the mm-hmm. way. I don't know uh, if, if any of y'all knew that whenever Joker first shows up and Michael Caine is there and you see like the shocked expression on his face. That is legit. Mm-hmm. He was supposed to have speaking lines. There. And he forgot them. And they, and, they loved and it so much. He, yeah, he forgot them, and they just they just kept going. Yeah. And they were just like, nope, the scene worked out real well. We're we're not gonna we're not gonna run it back. That that was great. <clears throat> when it came time to casting some of these characters for the Joker, multiple actors expressed interest in it. Paul Bettany, Lacey Holm, who's in Matrix Two and Three, Adrian Brody, Steve Carell, and even Robin Williams had all expressed interest in this. Uh, Nolan had wanted to work with Heath Ledger before. I mentioned that in the last episode, that Heath had just, it was like, I can't really see myself doing a superhero film. However, Heath, when he was cast, he, he when he saw Batman Begins, he realized a way to make the character work in that world and consistent in that tone. It was his idea that Joker would have more of a Glasgow smile, for example. He's like, we don't want it just, just to be basic paint because you're going for realism realistically speaking that paint's going to wear off throughout the movie and if his if his rictus grin is like falling away it's not quite as scary and he also wanted to go more chaotic with the character which Christopher Nolan loved that he's like absolutely we'll go ahead and we'll go with that we'll do like the Glasgow smile and he also felt that the idea of chemical bleaching would be kind of difficult to portray in a realistic light with how this movie was going to that end to prepare for this role Heath Ledger lived alone in a hotel for a full month in order to form his posture, the voice, and personality. He kept a diary as the Joker. Not as of himself trying to figure this out. He kept a diary as the Joker in order to help himself get into character. Reportedly, Michelle Williams has this, and it's apparently in Keith's will that this kind of thing should become like publicly available after a certain amount of time. I'd be interested to read aspects of that, but I don't know if I'd be interested to read the whole thing. That's... To keep that kind of a diet, <laughs> I'll, I'll read the whole thing. You know, no, I don't, I, I don't. I've, I've, I've wanted it to be released for, for quite some time. But yeah, I would. Uh, you know, I would not be surprised if just because of how corporations are all money hungry now at this point in time, that whenever it c- hits that certain time, whenever the diary can be released, I fully expect Warner Brothers to do a published edition of it. To be sold in stores and all that kind of stuff. I wouldn't like, be shocked just, if they made a movie about I just, it. I, I, firmly, I, I firmly believe that that's what they're going to do. I wouldn't be shocked if they made a movie out of it in but, some capacity. Yeah, I mean, they, they probably would. <laughs> One of the things that he found the most difficult during his isolation there was trying to find a voice and a laugh that would be different from Jack Nicholson. He wasn't so much concerned about trying to be different from Mark Hamill's voice production or Caesar America's like this is a different kind of thing, but there are some similarities in the way Jack Nicholson portrayed the Joker and how Ledger portrayed the Joker. So he wanted to try and differentiate as best he could. He was given multiple books to read to prepare for this, including The Killing Joke and Arkham Asylum, A Serious House and Serious Earth, both of which he stated that he really tried to read them and just put them down because he felt like it didn't fit with what he was trying to do. It doesn't. His Joker is a very standalone-like mm-hmm. To that end, portrayal. he took inspiration from the character of Alex Large from Clockwork Orange and from Sid Vicious, you know, the musician. And I can see that. Also, 
he was allowed to shoot and mostly direct like those little warning videos that Joker produced in the film. All, all of which were different. Not a single one of them was the same. Christopher Nolan was so impressed by this, he chose to no longer be present to kind of help him with them after a time, including the one that he did with the director. Um, of course, we can't talk about this without talking about the fact that Heath passed away January 22nd of 2008 from a toxic combination of prescription drugs. Heath Ledger had apparently suffered from forms of insomnia for most of his life. Uh, Michelle Williams had said that there were times when they were living together that, you know, Heath would be up at 3 o'clock in the morning because his brain just kept going and going and going. Getting into character for this role, Heath kind of implied that it exacerbated that. There has been speculation over the years of the role killed him. I don't think the role necessarily killed him. But I do think that the lengths he went to to prepare for that role, it's difficult to get back from that at times. Well, you know, you know, people, they... they... They try to create reasons as to why something happened. Heath Ledger was a very popular individual. He was a fan-favorite actor. I've never met anyone that openly stated that they do not like Heath Ledger. Like, he was just one of those guys that everybody freaking liked. So whenever he died, you know, yeah, people are going to want to try and come up with a reason to make it make sense to them. And whenever things started coming out about the lengths that he was going to to prepare for the role and all that. It's like, you know, <clears throat> it was kind of like an urban legend that just, that just, it just started rolling. And, uh, you know, there were just people that was like, Oh, the, the Joker role killed him. Like he was so invested in the role, like it killed him. And it's like, yeah, he was invested in the role, but with his own personal demons that he was going through the combination of medication that he was taking and all of that kind of stuff, like in a way, yeah, the role killed him because he was, he was preparing for it and, you know, dedicated to the role, but it wasn't... It was not the sole no, factor that caused No, it. it wasn't like he did not just up and become the Joker or something no. because he and was so I've, dedicated and died because of it. I've like, never necessarily believed that, but even Joaquin <clears throat> Phoenix has said that I can see why Heath kind of had the problems he did. He's like, doing a role like this and immersing yourself like this to do this, it can affect you 100%. Harvey Dent... Uh, Look, Nolan and Goyer wanted to use him in Batman Begins, but they felt that they could not do the character proper justice in the context of that film, and that's when they created the character of Rachel Dawes. Um, Liev Schreiber, Josh Lucas, and Ryan Philippe all expressed interest in the role. Mark Ruffalo actually auditioned for it, and Matt Damon was considered, but had scheduling conflicts and had to pull away from it. That might be a bit of a bullet dodged. I like Matt Damon. I don't see him as Harvey Dent. There are aspects of him as Two Face, I can see. But you know, for for years, I, I would always tell people I wasn't very fond of Matt Damon. I, I never really had any any reason why. You know, there's just some some actors that you look at and you're just like, I don't like you. And he was, you know, he was he was one of those guys for me. Yeah. But you know that I watched the film of uh, The Last Duel, which he was in. I was very much looking forward to that movie and all of that. I had never seen Matt Damon that was going to be in a role like this. Uh, for those of you that haven't seen the film, it's told through three different perspectives. The same events are told through three different perspectives. And so he essentially plays three different versions of the same character in this film, depending on what perspective the film is being being told through and all of that and just seeing him being able to 
to do that, like watching that movie, I was just like, okay, I, I didn't know, I didn't know he <laughs> had that in him. Like, I mean, I really there didn't. But with that said, I don't see him as Harvey Dent. Like, <laughs> Another actor that was considered for the role and actually entered early talks for it was Hugh Jackman. However, his contracts and the commitments he had made as Wolverine became an obstacle there. And rather than try and potentially deal with Fox and studio licensing and everything else, they decided to move on. Aaron Eckhart was cast in February 2007. Christopher Nolan cited specifically his acting ability and his appearance as a chiseled American hero quality, comparing him even to a young Robert Redford. Uh, Eckhart liked the concept of good guys gone bad. As I said before, he had played that role of a corrupt man several times up to this point in his uh, career. One of my personal favorites being, thank you for smoking. Uh, to that end, he also wanted Dent to be less of a crime boss and more of a twisted vigilante. Aaron Eckhart felt that if he was a twisted vigilante, it would really emphasize him being like a broken mirror counter to what Batman was. You know what I mean? Yeah. Basing aspects of his portrayal for the character on the Kennedys, specifically Robert F. Kennedy, Eckhart said he felt no real difficult getting into shape for this, and ultimately he even had them lighten his hair up and lost a little bit of weight in order to strengthen his jawline to make himself look more like all-American kind of thing. Katie Holmes had initially planned on reprising the role of Rachel Dawes. However, she ultimately chose to make a different movie with... Um, I want to say Diane Lane and Oprah Winfrey. Uh, I think it's called Mad Money. Look, I've, I've got my own theories as to why she pulled out of this film, but given that Scientologists are the litigious bunch, I'm going to stay away from it. Uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal finalized talks in March of 2007. And that was pretty much all the casting that they needed to do for that. Now, I did find one thing funny. The role that William Fickner got was actually initially offered to Dwight Yoakam. Dwight Yoakam turned it down to focus on his music instead. Wow. I mean, he would have only had four lines and then got shot in the knees. So, I guess it didn't hurt him, but... I mean, William Fickner still collects royalty checks for his appearance in that film. Yeah. <laughs> Filming began April of 2007 and lasted until November of 2007. The, they filmed four major sequences in IMAX, including the, the opening scene with the Joker. Christopher Nolan wanted to do the entire film in IMAX. However, this would have been way too expensive. I think the estimated budget, had he filmed it entirely in IMAX, would have been somewhere around $400 million, which would have made it far and away at that time the most expensive film to ever make. 13 weeks of filming was done in Chicago because Christopher Nolan really enjoyed filming the first one in Chicago. That That's it. That's why he chose to film more of it there was because he had a good time filming it there the first time around. While filming it in Chicago, they gave it the false title of Rory's First Kiss. Uh, this did not work because if you're filming a movie called Rory's First Kiss and then somebody walks by dressed as friggin' Batman, you're kind of going to blow your cover. Yep. Uh they filmed Wayne Enterprises at the Richard J. Daly Center. Now, in the first movie, they filmed that at the Chicago Board of Trading Building. However, they felt that, you know, because we need to actually be able to get inside more and do little things, they felt that it would be better to do it in a more accessible building. 
Uh, Joker's prologue was filmed from April 18th through April 24th, and they returned from June 9th, 2007 to September 9th of 2007. When I say they returned, a lot of filming was done in Pinewood Studios in London. That's just where Christopher Nolan is based out of. The filming that was done in Chicago generated over $45 million in income for the city and produced over 10,000 jobs for it. To that end, they also decided to use less CGI to disguise Chicago. Because what what little CGI they did use in Batman Begins was they didn't want you to be able to pick out that this is Chicago. I mean, there are moments where you can see the name Chicago Bank on a building that Joker is walking by now. Uh, recognizable things that were in Chicago that they used include the Sears Tower, the Navy Pier, the James R. Thompson Center, LaSalle Street, Randolph Street Station. An old branch factory was used as Gotham Hospital and a Van Buren Street post office doubled as the bank in the opening sequence. They also filmed the car chase in its entirety on Walker Drive, which led to some amusing moments when somebody decided they needed to go to a gas station at 1 o'clock in the morning and didn't care that it was blocked off. So you, you know that scene where as they're chasing after the cop cars, they bump a car out of the way? That almost happened to this man. And they decided to add that into the car chase because they thought that it would add to Joker trying to go after who he thought was the Batman in Harvey Dent. As I mentioned, Pinewood Studios in London was the primary filming studio for most indoor scenes and things like that. And they also used the Criterion Restaurant for the mob meetings, both backstage, where they're meeting around the TV and everything, and in the later on when Gordon shows up to arrest everybody. There was over 500 people, apparently. Now, what's funny... They filmed an explosion that was roughly the size of, I think they said that it was a, a 200 yards wide elect, like electric yellow ball explosion. And also the demolition of the branch building for the hospital. People who lived nearby called the authorities because they believed that there were terroristic attacks being done to Chicago. <laughs> hey, it happens. <laughs> <laughs> They wrapped their filming with their Hong Kong shoot from November 6th through 11th of 2007. This was a nightmare for them to do. Uh, filming in China can be difficult, especially in Hong Kong. You have to get all kinds of permits. Hong Kong's tallest building at that time, the International Finance Building, was used for where they caught Lao. To that end, it required helicopters and a C-130 aircraft. Residents feared noise pollution and excessive air traffic, as well as... Nearby buildings being told to keep their lights on to kind of add to the atmosphere, they felt this was a waste of electricity. The cinematographer, uh, Wally Fister, said this was the most difficult thing he has ever done in his career. And when revisited about that a couple years ago, he still says it was the most difficult thing because he was the direct liaison with the Hong Kong government officials. He said, I have never been more stressed out in my life thinking I'm going to go to jail because I'm trying to make a movie. <laughs> Ultimately... Because of everything that they were dealing with, the difficulties there, Batman's jump from the building had to be done digitally. They were going to have a stunt double leap from that building. Probably best that didn't happen because during an earlier stunt gone wrong, somebody did die, actually. The film, when you watch the movie, at the end of the film, it says dedicated for Heath. There's another name on there that was a member of the production crew that was killed in an explosion early on. The Batpod... Nathan Crowley, the man who designed the Tumblr for the first film, made six models for use in production. That way, you know, if somebody crashed one or if there was an accident, they'd be all right. 
The prototype was built in Christopher Nolan's garage, and then they spent six months safety testing this thing. It was steered by shoulder. It was considered a very difficult thing to drive. Only one stuntman was actually capable of riding it, and by his own admittance, he had to basically unlearn how to ride a motorcycle in order to ride this thing, to the point that he had to relearn how to drive a motorcycle and take a new test to get licensed to drive a motorcycle afterwards. You know, they designed this thing to have over 200 moving parts, including, like, shields that could block things, grappling hooks, guns. Um, the scene in the film where they flip over the truck was done with a real truck. They told him, you're only getting one shot at this, so you better enjoy it. And apparently, every single member of the crew came out to watch this. Even, like, makeup and everybody, they left their rooms because they wanted to watch this being done. Christian Bale really wanted to ride the Batpod. I can imagine. He really wanted to drive it. He was told under no circumstances would he be allowed to drive that thing because if he got injured on it, their exact words, we don't have the insurance to cover you. We don't. We are not... Can you imagine the headlines? Christian Bale was injured driving a prototype bat cycle. <laughs> With Harvey Dent's uh, burnt half his face... At first, they tried to make it more realistic. This was found to be way too gross. You can find concept art of like pus leaking out of holes in the side of his face. Just, just not. If you've ever been burned, you know what it looks like. Imagine that all over the side of your face. Um, they had to actually rearrange his facial structure in order to add to the drama of how he would appear like that. As well as the fact that Aaron Eckhart would wear markers on one side of his face and a prosthetic skull cap, which you can actually see in a couple of scenes with him uh, for reference points for where they were going to do the burn marks. They also found it very difficult to only burn half of Harvey Dent's face because that's extremely unrealistic. If your face catches fire, your face catches fire. Yeah. Like they, they, it doesn't look terrible, but there's a reason why they filmed it in such a perky jerky style because they don't want you to see that it's a digital fire. Uh, Heath Ledger was allowed to help come up with Joker's costume. Cited both uh, Pete Doherty, Iggy Pop, and Johnny Rotten for references because he felt like he needed to look like these things were homemade, really grungy and scrungy. Uh, his, I think he said in an interview, "Can you imagine what the suit would smell like? Like we had to, we had we had to make this look like it was really Joker's suit." And the makeup, he this was revolutionary at the time because at the time, and even now, people will spend six to eight hours in makeup chairs at times. They did not want to have to do that with this. So his makeup was a three-piece stamped silicone uh, prosthesis, including the Glasgow smile, and a makeup look. It took between an hour and an hour and a half to apply the first time. By the time they were getting close to being wrapped up, they'd gotten down to where they could do it in 30 minutes, which that's astounding. Yeah. Like, that is absolutely astounding. And he felt like he was barely wearing anything at all. This look that we see with this Joker has become almost as iconic in its own right as the Joker itself, to the point that it is heavily spoofed, heavily memed. It's you think Joker, this is what you think sometimes nowadays. You know what I mean? Yeah, he's pretty much the uh, <clears throat> the go-to Joker for a lot of people in, he's their, the in, their, in, in their minds and all that. Like, you know, it's kind of like whenever it comes to the Joker, like. He was trying to become the Joker, but not only like did he raise the bar, 
he, in a way, became the bar mm-hmm. for the Joker. And I've got thoughts on that, but we'll get to that in a little bit. The bat suit, they wanted to improve on the previous design. They added wide elastic bands so that it would better fit to his body, and it would suggest a more sophisticated technology. This is his new suit that he gets. To that end, this suit had over 200 pieces of rubber, fiberglass, metallic mesh, and nylon attached to it. The cowl, improved as well, was molded and modeled after a motorcycle helmet so that he would be allowed to be able to turn his head. And it also featured the drop-down white lenses. And this was the first time in a live-action setting we've gotten the white eyes look for the cowl. Also, you know, the gauntlets had their retractable blades. Altogether, the suit weighed nearly 15 pounds more, but Christian Bale said it was far more comfortable for him to wear than the initial suit. Uh, Hans Zimmer and James Newton Howard returned for the music. Uh, Zimmer, of course, when he composed Joker's theme called Why So Serious, it is a nine-minute piece that is based around two notes. It is eerie. It is sinister. It can make you uncomfortable if you're listening to it by yourself. After his death, he did consider redoing it, but ultimately decided not to after having a conversation with Christian Bale about it because to redo that just because he died, you don't want to take away the evil and menace this character had. You want it to keep the weight that it had. Yeah. Uh, Howard did Harvey uh, Dent's music, focusing them heavily on brass-featured <clears throat> music. And when it came time to market this film, they went on a heavy viral campaign with this. Websites. There were mail-in things. There was massive hype for this movie, and that only increased after Heath died. Because Heath died in January. The movie came out in June. We had, or July. We had seven months to think about this movie building up. And after he died, they did modify some of their uh, viral marketing they had planned because some of the marketing they had planned was meant to be interactive with Heath Ledger. And you can't really do that once that happens, obviously. Um, no, this movie was heavily, heavily hyped. Like, if you didn't live through the hype of this movie, I can't do it justice to describe it. I, <clears throat> at work, just to let you guys know the hype of this movie, whenever uh, the job I was working at the time I worked with a bunch of... <clears throat> okay, I'm, I'm not going to say what I want to say. But <laughs> let's just say that watching comic book movies was not something that they would do. They thought they were silly. They thought they were childish. I was regularly made fun of because I liked watching comic book movies and I still read comic books and all of that. Every, every co-worker I had was like that. The hype for this movie was so real that even they were saying, we got to watch this movie whenever it comes out. Like, that's just how how blown up this film had become. Yes. It was truly, like, like I said, I, I can't do it justice to describe this hype of this film. Just go back and watch some. You can find videos on YouTube of people that would, they're old ass videos. But you can find videos on YouTube of people reacting to this and this hype leading into this. It, it's it's beyond beyond description. It had its worldwide premiere July 14th of 2008 in New York. Uh, the early reviews were overwhelmingly positive, and because of his death, they said that Ledger haunts the screen every time he's there. He completely steals 
every scene he is in, and he overshadows Batman so much that you almost forget it's a Batman movie. You could sub Batman out for a corrupt cop or for a like a cop who's been wrong and is trying to get his own form of justice and sub the Joker's personal appearance out for a mobster and it would still work as a fantastic crime thriller. U.S. and Canada released it in over 4,300 theaters, which broke many previous records, 94 theaters in IMAX, and this movie was estimated to be on nearly 10,000 screens at one time in the United States and Canada. That's nuts. That's insanity. What? <laughs> I like, didn't know that. Holy the most crap. Re- the, the only film I can th- films I can think of that come close to that stat are Avengers Infinity War and Endgame and Spider-Man No Way Home. And they still fall almost 2,000 screens short of that number. Jeez. That is insanity. <clears throat> that means if you're walking to a movie theater, more likely than not, most of the screens were showing The Dark Knight. Yeah, pretty much. It had its wider release throughout the United States and Canada July 18th. And of course, it's worldwide released on the 5th. It, it set a record midnight first set with 18.5 million that has since been broken. I'm not going to go into detail on all the things that may have broken these records. Most of the records that were set by The Dark Knight were either broken by Avengers or Twilight New Moon for some damn reason. Okay, well, I'm going to go on ahead. See, this, this is a... This is a quirk of mine that I have. Inflation. Oh, no. I'm... <laughs> like, I, I, well, go, go ahead, but I looked at that as well. Like, I'm, I'm a big proponent of inflation. Like, whenever some well, some people... like, And I'm, I'm going to go ahead and just use these two films as an example whenever it comes to ap- the, the big debate over Avatar and uh, Infinity War. Whenever Infinity War... Not Infinity War, Endgame. Endgame. Yeah, whenever, I, I know what you meant. Whenever Endgame broke Avatar's record. James Cameron became the highest grossing film of all time. Everybody was, you know, excited. They're celebrating whatever you think about Avatar, whether you think it's overrated. I think it's overrated. I also think it's a good film, but it is not up to the level that I a lot of people... I didn't see it for the first time until the end of last year so. But, anywho, um, I went and saw it in theaters. I contributed to its number. <laughs> but uh, it's Dances with Wolves, a sci-fi version. I don't care what anybody says. Yep, it but, sure is. But anywho, you know, and everyone was like, congratulations to <clears throat> to Endgame and to the actors and the directors and this and that. You became the the highest grossing film of all time. Uh, you finally dethroned Avatar. And then my brain, I'm the kind of guy that sits there and like, Avatar was a standalone movie that did what it did with, not like 10 years of buildup, not with like 20 plus films of buildup and all that kind of stuff. It was literally, there was one thing that pushed that movie forward. This is the director of Titanic. That's it. That's all it took. And that movie was able to get to where it was. The tickets were cheaper. Like, I mean, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's just what I, so whenever people, you know, they sit there and be like, oh, well, this, this terrible movie made more money than this fantastic movie. You kind of sit there, like, I'm the kind of guy that'll sit there and be like, yeah, but when the fantastic movie was released, 
tickets were $7 a ticket. When that movie was released, tickets were $12 a ticket yeah. or something like that. You know what I mean? Adjusting. Like one, one ticket for this film did twice. Yeah, absolutely. What, what like, that's one. the whole thing with inflation. If you adjusted for inflation, Gone with the Wind is still the highest grossing film of all time. It would have adjusted for inflation. Today's, today's economy, it would have made over $3 billion. Yeah. Uh, the Dark Knight, when adjusted for inflation, is not even in the top 25 highest grossing films of all time. It's number 27. Mm. I saw that when I was looking that up. But moving along. Uh, it's opening day gross was $67.2 million, which was a record for a while. Opening week, it, it's first week from Thursday or from uh, from Friday through to Thursday was $238.6 million. It is still, to this day, the fastest film to 100, 150, 450, and 500 million at American box offices. It is the highest grossing film of 2008. It is the second highest grossing superhero film at the time that it came out. And it pulled in. $534.9 million in the U.S., 469.7 outside of the U.S. for a grand total $1.005 billion box office. At the time, it was the fourth highest grossing film of all time. And as I mentioned before, it received overwhelming critical acclaim. There was very, very little complaints about this movie. Even typical crazy complain about everything kinds of groups really didn't have much they could complain about because oh yes harvey dent got burned and yes he looked nasty but he didn't look as bad as he could have you know the bloodshed that was in this film was not over bang bang gets shot and stabbed and you don't see bloodshed in this film you see more blood from his dog bite than you do from anything else that happens to him in this movie ah uh. It was the as I, it lose my train of thought here, guys. It won the best sound editing at the Academy Award, and Heath Ledger posthumously won best supporting actor, becoming the first person to win an Academy Award for a superhero film. The only other man who has done that has been Joaquin Phoenix for Joker. Uh, in a 2020 magazine, I thought Homeboy from uh, Black Panther won something. Didn't Black Panther win? Something. Black Panther has won an award at the Academy Awards. It did not win. Oh, you're talking about act actor award. Yes. Okay, okay, okay. Yes. I, I was sitting there like, hold up, Scooter. Like, <laughs> no, no. I know you know better than that. <laughs> In a 2020 edition of Empire Magazine, it is considered the third best film of the 21st century. Uh, Heath Ledger's Joker was considered the second best comic book character of all time for longevity of how this character's like reactions have been behind only Hugh Jackman's Wolverine by Hollywood reporters. Personally, I think it should be Christopher Reeves Superman in the top three, because to this day, if you are old, if you're forgive the term here, if you're an elder millennial, like we are the first person you think of with a live action Superman is Christopher Reeve. Yeah. <clears throat> Henry Cavill did a fantastic job. Brandon Routh did a very underrated job. I think but, Superman Returns is way better than it gets credit for. Brandon Routh is uh, actually, in my opinion, better than Henry Cavill as Superman, and I would, I would, I would very much. Uh, you know, I'm not saying anything negative about Henry. I like him as Superman and all that kind of stuff. But let's just say, whenever uh, Superman was being rebooted with Man of Steel, and it came out that Brandon Routh or Routh, however you say his name, was going to be recast, I was not very happy. 
because I thought he was I thought he did a good job. I really enjoyed the movie. I like him as an actor <clears throat> and all of that. I was very upset that they recast him. But I felt we, we got we got our own little thing with the CW, you know, and all that kind of stuff whenever he came back and essentially played Kingdom, Kingdom Come, Come yes. Superman, which it was then confirmed that that was still a continuation of the Christopher Reeves verse of because Superman he is movies. This, because Superman Returns basically, doesn't that just like disregard three and four yes. of the original quadrilogy? Yes. Look, Brandon Ralph physically heavily resembled Christopher Reeve. Mm-hmm. And look, I both, it, what's funny is both he and Henry Cavill were actually up for the role of Superman for Superman Returns. They went with Brandon Routh because of his stronger resemblance to Christopher Reeve because of the continuation. Because it was a continuation, yeah. Look, I mentioned before that we're going to discuss the legacy at large of these films when we're done with the third one. Uh, Look, I I mentioned last week, I believe I mentioned last week, that we were talking about the Batman and how some of the action that was in it was good and some of it was... Not so good. A mutual acquaintance of ours seemed to think it had the best action scenes of any live-action Batman film. Bullshit. <laughs> oh, trust and, me. And I do not swear on podcasts that often, <laughs> and I will flat out say bullshit on that. It was, and, and you know, I was talking to you about that, and I even said, I was like, you know, because I pointed out to him that, you know, The Dark Knight Rises had some really good, like, and he'd, he'd forgotten the Bane fight, which I don't understand how that could possibly happen. But even I was like, you know, if you think about it, The Dark Knight really only had, like, a few real, like, fight scenes to it. And you said to me, you're like, has it been a while since you've seen the movie? I promise you, it's it's much more solid than you're remembering. And I was like, you know what, it has been several years since I've seen it. I'll rewatch it. I rewatched it that day. I messaged you that day. You're right. I had forgotten some of that because it had been several years since I'd seen the movie. I, I watch it periodically, probably about once a year. I'll I'll watch it. Uh, just I just love it. I have <laughs> I have a problem, and it's a bad habit of mine, and I can't get out of it. If I am ever watching a movie, and if I'm tired and I happen to fall asleep during that movie, my brain conditions myself. Oh, this movie's on. Well, you're gonna take a nap here in a little while. And I have to fight sometimes to stay awake during some movies that that's happened to me with. And I hate when that happens because it's happened to me in some of my all-time favorite films. Uh, I will direct caffeine. I will inject caffeine directly into my veins, and I have a heart condition to prevent that from happening with the Blues Brothers, though. That is <laughs> no, no. That is my favorite movie of all time. I can quote it start to finish, songs included. That is never going to happen. Um, look, we all had kind of thoughts when Heath Ledger got cast as the Joker. Oh, I had some thoughts. I know you did, and I wanted to let you go ahead and talk about that for a minute. Okay, so I'm going to open things up with, first of all, I'm man enough to admit whenever I'm wrong. I, I, I absolutely am. And I was very, very wrong with uh, my opinion on Heath Ledger whenever it came to him getting cast as the Joker. I had seen Heath Ledger in a lot of his films at that point in time. I was a big fan of Heath Ledger. I really enjoyed him in just about anything that he was in. I can't think of a single performance that he ever did to where I was like, yeah, I didn't care for that. Like, I was a fan of the guy. And, yeah, I was one of those individuals that whenever it got released that he was 
cast as Joker, I was completely against it. I was, uh, I just didn't think he had it in him. It went completely against any other kind of character that he had portrayed before. And I was just like, nope. Like, um, you know, don't judge me. I was one of those people that was basically like, I think he's going to ruin this role so bad, I'm not even going to watch the film. Like, I'm not, like, I just knew, I don't know, it's like I just knew he was going to do so terrible, I'm like, I'm not even going to put myself through this to get mad at, <laughs> at, 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 at the portrayal and everything. And so, you know, then, unfortunately, he died uh, at the beginning of the year. And I was bummed, you know, like, I remember going to work, and, you know, this was obviously before... You know, you could still look up stuff on your phones and all that back then and all that, but it wasn't near as big in our society as Not it is now. So I found out that Heath Ledger died whenever I went to work. We were still getting the newspaper and everything. For those of you that don't know, a newspaper was, uh, you, know, <laughs> you know. I was going to okay. say, as far as like phones improving goes... I can watch The Dark Knight on my phone. I can pull it up right now yeah. and watch it on my phone in good quality. Back then, not no, a chance in hell. No, not a chance. But uh, uh, yeah, so I got the uh, I got the newspaper. You know, first thing in the morning because I, I ran the warehouse, so I opened it up and all that. And whenever uh, I I came in and took it out of its little plastic bag, right there on the front page uh, said that like I saw they used an image from Brokeback Mountain, and I was just like, like. That's kind of odd. Like, why is that, of all things, on the, the front page of the newspaper and all that? And then I read Especially the headline. Especially in rural Louisiana. Yeah, and then I read the headline that he had passed away. And I was like, holy crap. And, you know, so immediately right there, I stopped opening the warehouse, went to the article, read it and everything, saw the very first image of him as Joker. They had one in there and all that. And so I was like, that's actually a very convincing look. And I was like, eh. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, you know, I don't know. Like, ah, no, no, I don't know. I just don't think, no, I'm sorry. I just don't think Heath Ledger's got it in it. So, anywho, fast forward, I don't, I can't remember exactly when the film came out, but, um, again, cell phones were not as big in our society For back reference, then, so. The movie you're thinking of came out in March. Okay. So, the, like, it, when trailers would drop back then, it wasn't like it dropped and then within an hour, it's got like 12 million views on YouTube. Or something like that. It just wasn't like that back then. And so, I had not seen a trailer or anything. Me and the girl I was dating at the time went to go see 10,000 BC. And we're sitting there. Trailers are rolling before the movie. A trailer for The Dark Knight starts up. I had no idea what it was. I had not seen anything related to it. All I had seen concerning The Dark Knight was that one image in the newspaper. It was about yay tall. About probably about yeah. three inches or something like that. Of him as the Joker. And, you know, the monologue's going, the trailer's going. I'm trying to figure out, like, what the heck is this? And, you know, I can't remember at what point. I think it's whenever uh, Batman was sitting in the chair and he drops his cowl in the film. That would be where, uh, right after, after Rachel, Rachel had, had died. died. Yes. And so that's when it clicks in my head. Like, oh, crap, this is Batman. Like, okay. And so I'm sitting there watching it and all that. I hear the monologue. I'm like... I don't know who that is that's talking. I'm not paying no mind to it or whatever. In my brain, I'm kind of like, oh, okay, so this is it. This is the first time I'm getting to see anything about it. Man, doggone shame. Heath Ledger is cast as a Joker. No way I'm going to like this movie. And almost on cue, that's whenever the line from the Joker says, you're just a freak, and then says, like me. And then there's the explosion. You see the cards falling. That one card that's on the ground, 
that's like on fire or whatever like that. Card, yeah. Whenever Joker does the laugh, you hear the laugh in the background. I can count on one hand how many times this has happened to me in my life. It sent a chill down my spine. Dude, just thinking about it, because I remember that tra- <laughs> the trailer itself. I'm getting I hyped. felt my hairs on my legs. I'm getting hyped just talking up. about this shit. Oh my God. Right. And so, yeah, like a, a chill went down my spine, and it was in that moment right there. Right there. After that laugh, I said, I was wrong. And, you know, sure enough, now I consider it to be not just one of the greatest portrayals that he's done, one of the greatest on-screen portrayals that's ever been done in the history of film. I don't remember my exact thoughts when Heath Ledger was initially announced as the Joker. I think it was something along the lines of, the dude from 10 Things I Hate About You? Really? Well, I mean, there's been only... I'm like, the only live-action Joker we have... Is Cesar Romero, who refused to shave his mustache. And they painted over it. And Jack Nicholson. And I'm like, I'm willing to give anybody a shot. Then I saw the... After seeing the trailer, I'm like, okay, that should be good. I have no problem with this. Went and saw the movie. Loved it. However, in the years that have since passed this film, I have adopted the thought process that the casting and portrayal of the Joker done by Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight is both one of the greatest things to have happened to... Not just comic cinema, but cinema in general. But is also one of the worst things to have ever happened to comic book cinema. Because now, it does not matter who gets cast in what role. Every single time it happens, someone's like, really him? The first argument everybody uses. Every single time. Well, they thought that Heath Ledger would be a bad Joker. And I'm like, you're right, they did think Heath Ledger would be a bad Joker and he surprised you. Not a single person is going to look me in the eye and tell me with a straight face, I think Kristen Wiig is a perfect choice for Cheetah. She surprised me a little bit in Wonder Woman 84. I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. I still don't think she was right for that role. I thought she did good. I didn't care for the movie overall, but I thought she was one of the highlights of the film. But it's, like I said, anytime somebody gets cast in something, they take that attitude. I swear, you could say Andy Dick has been cast as Hal Jordan in an upcoming Green Lantern film. And there will be one jackass, one man somewhere, to go, well, he could surprise you. I'm like, no, he can't. I love The Dark Knight. I love that film. It is, to a lot of people, it is the definitive live-action Batman movie. It's a damn shame we never got a full Batfleck film. Because I think that would have had the real capacity to have that same energy behind it. Because that was... Ben Affleck's Batman was the closest thing on the big screen we have ever gotten to the comic book series, to the Arkham series, and to the animated series on what Batman did. And fans, because of preconceived notions of Zack Snyder, crapped all over it. Um, While a, praising Joss Whedon, look where we are five years later on that. I'm I'm a firm believer that whenever it comes to Zack Snyder, Batfleck, um, Matt Reeves, and Robert Pattinson as Batman right now, that there were so many people that hated Zack Snyder and Ben Affleck in what they did that it honestly didn't matter that Matt Reeves was the next choice for the director and that Robert Pattinson was the next choice for Batman. There were people that were going to love that combination simply because it was not Snyder and Affleck. And I'm going to go on ahead and say, and I don't care if any of y'all get mad with what I'm about to say. 
Mad at him, not mad at my show. Yeah, 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 me. You, you, can, you can get <laughs> mad at me all you want to. I don't care because I'm not going to meet any of you. But anywho, whenever it comes to the Batman, I've seen a lot of people posting things on social media saying like, Robert Pattinson was perfect and this was the perfect Batman movie and everything. All I've got to say to you, to any of you, and I don't care if you get offended, shut the hell up, <laughs> go pick up a comic book, read it, and you'll see this is not the perfect Batman film. I am sick and tired of every time I get on social media and people are dieheartedly trying to defend this garbage movie because I could not stand the movie and... Their their argument to Look, this is like, I'm the biggest Batman fan that there is. Well, obviously you're not if you thought this film was perfect. He texted me twice during the movie saying, I had to step outside because I was about to fall asleep. I don't share his opinion on the Bat... Look, I don't think the Batman was the greatest Batman film of all time. It wasn't. Robert Pattinson was not the best Batman of all time. Nothing about that film was the best thing of all time with Batman. It is a mediocre superhero. But I did enjoy it as a movie. And it has got me curious enough to see what the follow-up will be. But Christ, leave the Joker alone for the fur once. No, 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 like this has nothing to do with how we do were just... Do Court of Owls, we do were, something. We were just praising Heath Ledger and all that and comparing Jokers and all that kind of stuff. This That scene that they released of Batman talking, so awful. talking with the Joker, it is so terrible. And I don't want you to tell me if you know. <laughs> I did not even look up the guy's name that is playing Joker. That's how insignificant of a twat. Well, the he only reason I know who this... he is is because of another movie he was in. Otherwise, I would have never known. When I saw the footage and I saw that, I'm like, I am 100% glad they cut that. This is awful. Do not put Joker in this movie. I ju- dude, it was like a five minute scene. I know. It? And I just another thing about this movie that drags <laughs> unnecessarily. Because, like, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I had to go home and cut grass after I watched that film <laughs> because it took so long to end. Holy mackerel. But even this scene with him, like, I didn't care for the portrayal. I didn't care for the attitude that he had. He Nothing about that said Joker to me. It literally <laughs> said, like, Batman was merely talking to, like, a punk kid. That's the idea that I got from that portrayal of Joker. You know what? Screw the Batman. <laughs> I don't care what anybody says. Robert Pattinson can... Nope, nope, nope. Let's, okay. let's not get too far off track. Look, I, I may actually suspend my no movies younger than five years old uh, conversation because we may well do an episode on this at some point. I would love to. <laughs> let's talk but about the Batman. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's save that, table that for another time. If you can't tell, we both really love The Dark Knight. We both feel a very certain way about it. If you haven't seen the movie, I implore you to watch Batman Begins first. But you don't necessarily need to watch it in order to see this. That being said, this was The Dark Knight. Next week, we're going to finish up with The Dark Knight Rises. And that one is going to be probably a little bit longer than this because that movie, when we're done talking about it, when we get to the point where we're talking about Legacy, we're going to talk about all three films. And that's it's going to be a conversation. So, that being said, I'm glad you guys tuned in. I'm always glad when you guys tune in. Uh, I had a listener actually reach out to me to appreciate that I had done the movie Hulk because that film, he felt, does not get enough. He did not want me to mention his name because apparently he lives in... I, I don't know. He, he just He's like, I would prefer you leave me anonymous if you can. 
And I've got no problem with that. That's his personal wish. I'm going to do that. But he felt that Hulk does not get the love that it deserves. He was glad that somebody else appreciated it and talked about it. If you guys want to reach out to me on this, I have a Facebook page. That is probably the best way for you to reach out to me. It's Kid Kong at the Movies. I love you guys. I appreciate everything you guys do. I hope you had a great time listening to this. This is The Dark Knight. Next week, The Dark Knight Rises. I'm going to throw out real quick that I also love Hulk. I went and saw it in theaters on my birthday. I'll defend it till I die. Screw the Batman. This is Cal the Kaiju guy. Y'all have a good one. Y'all have a good one. We'll see you next week for The Dark Knight Rises. Take care.